from the sweetly scented Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another figgy episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. Do you hope to get garlic in the ground sometime soon? Do you have a fig tree that needs winter protection? I'm your host, Mike McGrath, tanned, rusted, and ready. And on today's show, I'll discuss proper fig protection with author Lee Reich, and I'll bear forth on growing great garlic. And, of course, your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and amiably autumnal adulations. So keep your eyes and your ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you having your figs and eating them, too right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to a new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Univest Public Media Center. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'm very happy to kick off this new season with a tribute to garlic, telling you how to plant it and what to do with it, and an interview with my old friend, Lee Reich, who has written a book about protecting figs over winter in cold climate. There's a lot of debate about that one. That's a lot to get done, however, so let's jump right to your fabulous calls at 888-492-9444. Lisa, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had, Lisa. How you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. And where is Lisa doing well? Um, I am in Houston, Missouri. What can we do for Lisa in Texas, Missouri? <laughs> um, so I had a question about uh, tick treatments in the yard. So being in Missouri, I've got a yard that backs rural Missouri, a yard that backs up to a wooded area, mm-hmm. and we've got ticks galore. And we do the best we can um, managing them with what we've got. So we've got insect shield treated clothing. We have our pets treated with um, various different products to help keep the ticks off of them. But we are still finding ticks all over ourselves. And I'm very hesitant to treat the yard with anything because I'm very worried about um, kind of those downstream effects on other insects. Yeah, it wouldn't help help and it would damage your environment. Now, I'm happy to hear that you have insect shield clothing. This is clothing that's been impregnated with permethrin, which is deadly to ticks. Anything you can do to mow the tall grass, if it's, you know, if it's just there, to keep the height down, and more importantly, to let sunlight in. Missouri is remarkably humid. St. Louis is the most humid place I've ever been. And I've been in Louisiana. You know, people don't realize that about you guys. You can actually swim without water. It's incredible. Sometimes I'll just walk outside at 7 in the morning and just automatically be dripping sweat. It's something I've never never experienced at anywhere else. Sure is some fun, huh? <laughs> oh, gotta so, love it. 
anything you can do to open up the woods, uh, pruning away low branches, cutting the um, cutting the undergrowth. I mean, I don't know if you have one, but a brush cutter uh, you can use to just cut trails, real trails, so you're not pushing any plant material out of mm -hmm. the way. Now, there's two other things that come to mind. There is a product called Tick Tubes, T-U-B-E-S. Um, you can find, they have a website, just search Tick Tubes. And these are cardboard tubes that are stuffed with little cotton balls that are saturated with permethrin. And how is that going to stop ticks? Well, everybody talks about deer ticks, but the primary vector of ticks that transmit Lyme and other diseases are mice, the American field mouse. Ticks must feed on field mice to progress to their next stage of development. So if you've ever like had mice come into your attic or anything like that, you know they'll tear apart a box of tissues to take back to their nest or steal socks or something like that. They love to make a nice, comfortable nest. So you scatter the tubes around your property. The mice take the little cotton balls out and take them to the nest, and that kills any ticks on the mouse and any mice that then come into that nest to play cards or watch TV or whatever. <laughs> and it is, and it doesn't hurt the mice. It doesn't hurt anything mm. except ticks. My final thought is Christy Brinkley. No, 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 you don't want her to stand out in the field and scare them. But when she <laughs> bought a house in Lyme and realized how pervasive the tick problem was, she researched it heavily and bought a flock of geese, which you could also do with guinea hens, although they're annoying as all heck. Um, she kept contacting the USDA because their tick problem was solved immediately when she brought these specific fowl into, um, into her backyard. Chickens might work as well. I'd want to research that, but I know that geese and guinea hens love to eat ticks. And this way you're also kind of getting back at the tick. Um, when she finally convinced the USDA to come out, they reported using a, a thing called a tick drag, which has nothing to do with RuPaul, but it's a big piece of white material you drag through brushy areas. And then uh, the scientists literally count the number of ticks that attach to it. So they sampled the areas around her place, and they sampled the areas that uh, the ducks, geese, and guinea hens had access to. She had achieved somewhere between 95 and 98% control of the ticks. Sounds great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. A pleasure to speak with you. 888-492-9444. Tiffany, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, thanks for being had, Tiff. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing so good now that I get to talk to you. All right. And I meant to say I'm just ducky. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're stealing my work here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ducky is back. Ducky is happy to be back at work, as am I. And uh, where is Tiffany? I'm in Naperville, Illinois. 
Um, how close to Chicago? We're about oh, 20 miles from Chicago. Pretty oh, close. Yeah, that's pretty close. Do you go there a lot? You know, not as much since having kids, but I do like going there. Yeah, Chicago's a great town. <laughs> um, it is. And for nothing, great restaurants, and it's the home of pinball. Um, all of the pinball machines over the decades were built in Chicago until very recently. And I'm a pinball fanatic. Oh, my gosh, fanatic. I have no idea. Oh, yeah. Um, I was in Chicago years ago in the winter, so I couldn't go to a Cubs game. But I, uh -huh. I just parked at random in the, under the loop and found this great little Japanese noodle restaurant. Then I was walking back mm. to my car. I see this kind of showroom with eight pinball machines in it and uh, lit from above by spotlights and a guy in a uh, tuxedo making change. This was the Williams demonstration game room where you were interviewed after you had played each game to tell them which ones you would play um, after they went into a bar or arcade. It was amazing. Oh, how interesting. I got to check that out. My kids would like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's a the pimba, 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 pimba. It sounds like something Tarzan would yell. Pimba, come on. Pinball has made a big comeback, and there's big arcades all over the country. I can't imagine Chicago would be left behind. But enough mishmash. What can we do for you, Tiff? <laughs> well, Mike, I started listening to you and gardening about the same time. So it's like two years ago when the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. um, I have a couple of raised beds. They're doing really great. Super fun. Um, but I want to try growing blueberries somehow. Oh, sure. And I was, was doing a little research, though, and it doesn't sound like Illinois has great soil for it. And I started getting sucked into pH, and mm -hmm. I'm not all that experienced. So I thought I'd give you a call and see if you could help me. Um, I always tell people that when they're planting, you know, a perennial a shrub, a bush, a tree, not to put anything in the planting hole, but to improve okay. the soil over top of it with compost. Blueberries okay. are the big exception. Blueberries originated in peat bogs where the soil is, is not overly rich, but it's highly acidic. You know, peat, uh, seven is neutral soil. So, you know, 6.5 is pretty much what most plants want to grow in because mm -hmm. acidity means life and alkalinity means death, especially if you're in a desert. So mm. with blueberries, they want a pH around five, which okay. it, if you stick your finger in the soil, it'll, it'll burn any little cut you have. Okay. So you get yourself one of those big blocks of milled peat moss, which you see at every garden center. And okay. you plant your blueberries in a mix of three quarters peat moss and one quarter compost. And okay. you want to keep an eye on their pH over the years. And if it starts to get real high, you want to put more peat moss down or dust some sulfur which also lowers okay. the acidity. Now, 
great news for you. There's no reason you can't grow great blueberries. You have enough chilling hours over winter to recharge the plants. And I don't know what your research has told you, but you can have crops pretty much all summer long by planting different varieties. There's a cluster mm -hmm. of varieties that are known as early blueberries. Those are the ones that come in first. Then there's okay. another group of plants that are considered middle. And they come in, whoa, in the middle? Yeah, I think so. And <laughs> then there's a late type that comes in last. So by planting some of each type, you can stretch the season and have blueberries all summer long if you protect the plants from birds. Birds will uh, right. fight you for every berry. Um, <laughs> I remember going to a bed and breakfast in a place called Long Swamp in Pennsylvania, and there was this cage outside, this giant cage that was about the size of a house. And I asked them what that was for, and they said, oh, that's where we grow our blueberries. We gave up on trying to keep the birds out any other way. So they had uh. erected this cage of wire mesh, and they were noted for their blueberry pie and muffins and stuff like that. <laughs> you could also try motion-activated sprinklers. Um, but depending on, you know, your location, how visible, um, making a big cage with a, a gate that you can go in that is bird-proof, mm -hmm. man, it's going to save you a lot of trouble. Because when you throw netting over the plants, they just eat the berries through the netting. And then they go inside gotcha. and get stuck. Ah, it's a mess. Okay. That's good to know. I had no idea. Yeah, full so sun. You... Full sun and very peaty, acidic soil and bird protection. Those are the three. Okay. And would you put these in containers at all, or do you think I could just put them straight in the ground? Oh, you must put them straight in the ground. Uh the roots would freeze if they were left over, uh, if they were left above ground in a container oh, over a Chicago area winter. Got it. There is a okay. lot of insulation, natural insulation that occurs when you plant in the ground. And because they okay. do require a chilling period, you can't really drag the containers in. And that gets old your Got second it. year. No, they're, and they're, <laughs> they're designed to be planted right in the ground. Right. That makes sense because Maine is cold and all of that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. That was so useful. Thank you. Hey, even a broken watch is right twice a day, Tiff. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You take care. Thank you, Mike. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.
That was the Cole Porters playing Chopping the Garlic live at the Green Note. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there that it is now prime time for fall planting of crops like garlic, greens, and onions in most of the country. So get out and get growing. I'm your irascible host, Mike McGrath, and you are listening to the beginning of a brand new season of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. Broadcasting from the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA, I am poorly invested Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we will talk to Lee Reich, one of our most frequent guests about his new book on growing figs in cold climates. And then I'll be back to teach you how to handle your garlic, which you better get in the ground this fall. All right. Well, it is time for me to welcome perhaps our most frequent guest on You Bet Your Garden, Dr. Lee Reich, uh, the famous pruning author, and um, perhaps pruning madman might be a better word. Uh, He wrote the pruning book and many other books about uh, growing fruits, And his new book is Growing Figs in Cold Climates, the techniques of which are almost a religion. Lee, first of all, welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. It's great to be back after a long time. Yeah, well, you know, long time no see. (laughs) Um, Now, what I'd like to start off with, if you don't mind, I'm surprised that you didn't call this book five ways of protecting figs over winter and cold climates you know because people love numbers like that and you have five basic techniques so do you mind if we start off doing one through five? Oh, that'd be good yeah okay so number one is container growing so uh Run us through how you do that. So you got the you got a fig in a big pot, and where are we going from there? So a lot of people do this. It's it's uh, basically the probably the most frequent way that people do it, but there's a lot of ins and outs to doing it. So fig is a very adaptable plant, and uh, in so many ways, even though a lot of people think it's a tropical plant, it's a subtropical plant. And it really does, uh, but it does need protection against cold winters. If your outdoor winters 
go below about 10 degrees Fahrenheit, it need it needs some sort of protection. Typically, you know, the roots would survive colder weather, but uh, you know, not unbelievably colder weather. But uh, the roots will survive, and if the plant re-sprouts from the roots, fig is unique in that it it's um, it sprout it grows fruit on new growing shoots, like an apple tree, a pear tree, a, a, a peach tree. They all grow on grow their fruits on shoots that are one or more years old. Fig tree will do it on new growing shoots. But the thing is, if the shoots originate too close to ground level, then they don't have time to ripen. So what you wanna do is you wanna leave a length of stem. It could be a single trunk or multiple trunks about two feet high and cut everything back to that stem before I put it in cold storage. And then that next growing season, take off any shoots that grow below that top of the stem and just leave a number of shoots coming off the top and those will bear fruit. Okay, number two, plant in spring, dig up in fall. And okay, so that's pretty obvious. You, you start with your planting stock, you let the plant grow until say, you know, October, November, you dig it up. And then are we just bagging the roots up in a plastic bag and bringing it down into your um, cellar again? Yeah, that's it. And the, the advantage of that is when you plant that out in spring, you give it a good watering. But as growth starts in spring, the roots extend into the surrounding soil. And then uh, basically you don't have to do that thing of watering, taking care of watering it all season long. So, so not only do you not have to water it, but also the plant grows more. And the more it grows, the more figs it produces and uh so you get a, you get higher yield and you get um uh higher yield and less care and it's easier that. to move because you're not dragging that big pot inside well you do have to take a certain amount of uh, roots and then i came up with a variation on that <clears throat> where i actually grew it in a pot you know a very large pot maybe about this big and i put holes in the side of the pot and then when i plant the whole pot in the ground the roots actually grow out into the hole, right? Out the holes, and then I just easily because it's only uh, that year's roots, I chop them off and then bring the pot into into the cellar. Okay, the, number three, and I think you made this up. Swaddle <laughs> stems, S W A D D L E. This is a very common method where where it doesn't get too too cold. For instance, in the Philadelphia area. Uh, Brooklyn has a lot of uh, people from the Mediterranean, Italians, Lebanese, and uh, and you often see swaddled trees, and you know there's figs under them. And basically, if it's, if it's not doesn't get too too cold at the end of the growing season, and although any type of protection, it shouldn't shouldn't be until December probably, because you want them to experience some cold. Uh, so at the end of the growing season, you you prune it a little tie the stems together so it's a nice tight mass, and then just wrap it with uh, whatever is needed to protect it from the bitterest cold of winter. It could be just burlap if your winters don't get that cold. It could be some sort of insulation. But people go through a lot of uh, very heroic measures. In my book, I have some photos of a fig grower in, in uh, Pittsburgh who uh, this giant fig tree, and he just wraps with insulation. I mean, it's amazing, and on a ladder. And you point tight. out that you have to put a bucket or something on top. Right. You don't want water to get in there. So you want some way to shed the water. And as I said, this might uh, look 
uh, unsightly to some people, or it might look like a sculpture to others, and it also depends on how neatly you do it. It's uh, it's 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 a look. Number four is my favorite for a number of reasons. I may be wrong, but I consider this the purest Italian way to protect a fig tree, is you water the soil, you bend the tree into a trench that you've evacuated in the ground, fill the trench with soil, and then cover it with old carpets or leaves or something like that, and dig it up in the spring when, to the best of my understanding, it's already putting on new leaves. Well, actually, any of these methods, you really ideally get it up before leaves start because those leaves are very tender since they, they start growing without light. Mm -hmm. So you want you ideally you want the leaves to develop, start developing in ambient light conditions. If you're not, it's not too cold, or depending on how much you want to cover it with, you could just lay it on the ground, you know, pin it down. That's another thing about figs is they're they're very flexible and I said and, and they tolerate a lot of abuse so you can just bend the branches down what what I like to do is you you put a shovel into the ground to cut the roots on one side then you bend it down the other way all right like, number five is winter <laughs> protection via a greenhouse or a hoop house now what what shape is the fig in is this for potted figs figs you dig up and put the roots in a plastic bag and put inside, or are we growing the fig in this thing 24/7? Right, it could be any one of those methods, depending on how uh, you know how cold the greenhouse or hoop house gets. So that is my favorite method, mainly because you get earlier figs, and you get a lot of figs, and you don't have to worry about cold protection. If you have a hoop house and it's not too too cold in winter and this could be you know winters that get down to zero in a hoop house if it's big enough and you have the fig in the center of the hoop house and you could put some sort of blanket or, or a floating rope cover over it you you could uh, get figs that way too so in my who in my greenhouse which is a, a cool temperature greenhouse the temperature just goes the heat goes on when the temperature just gets to about freezing and uh, I, in the greenhouse, it's not only for figs. I grow um, salad crops all winter. Sure. My, all my spring seedlings I grow in the, in, the, in the greenhouse. Before I let you go, you attempt something in this book that I don't think anybody else has been brave enough to do. You try to sort through the different varieties of figs, oh. which in my experience are the most mislabeled plants. So, you know, and, and a lot of the names came from, say, somebody in Europe, say, in Italy. They, they migrated to the U.S., you know, decades ago, perhaps, and they took some, they have a fig tree they like, they took a cutting of it, and then they came here, they grew a plant because they're very easy to propagate from cuttings, and, uh, and then they start passing the plants around, you know, more cuttings to their friends, and, you know, they didn't know what the name of the variety was originally because this is a plant that's been grown for thousands and thousands of years yeah so so people just make up names <laughs> my favorite name for brown turkey which is a very common and a very good fig is uh and this is a true one of the names it's called lee's perpetual oh well you wish you were right <laughs> all right i have to stop you here or else or else we would go on for hours our very special guest today has been Dr. Lee 
Reich, whose newest book is Growing Figs in Cold Climates. It's sure to induce a lot of heated conversations, but the bottom line is figs are delicious. And easy to grow. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Lee. We'll get you on again real soon. Write another Thanks, book. Thanks. I like that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Lee. John Paul, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being had, John. How are you? I'm pretty good. And where are you? I'm in North Wilmington, Delaware. Okay. And North Wilmington, so that's like the closest to Philly. Yeah, it's pretty close to Philly. It's just a burbs between Philly and Wilmington. Okay, okay. I, I, yes, I love, I love, uh, I'm not going to say it because then I won't be able to get a reservation there anymore. So never mind. Um, <laughs> what can we do you for? Well, uh, I recently um, upgraded my yard quite a bit uh, via a move. And I went from a small little postage stamp and I'm the lucky property manager, owner of about a, an acre of wooded forest that's all cleared. Mm. And um, my daughter and I, we counted the trees in our backyard and came up with about 117, mm. which is super awesome. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking about 50 of those are sweet gum trees, and they drop so many gumballs. It's overwhelming. And uh, I was wondering only, uh, what I should do about all these. When I was growing up at Bridge and Tarsdale in Philadelphia, um, we called them itchy balls for no good reason. And, of course, they were the ultimate projectile. You didn't have to go buy stuff. You just took a basket out, and there was this enormous tree near Marguerite's house. Oh, must have dropped thousands of them. So um, what's the matter? You don't like walking on them? It's like acupressure, right? You're, you're relieving <laughs> yeah. all those nasty symptoms in your feet. Surprise acupuncture. Yeah. You know, there's got to be the people who make things like super squirters or paintball guns. They have to have an itchy ball thrower. You know, you load up a hundred of those and boom, 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 boom. Maybe I've been watching. Maybe <laughs> I've, I've got a nine-year-old son and, and I'm kind of wondering if this is a good idea or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll put his eye out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been watching too much TV news. So, um... What have you been doing with them so far? 
Uh, so far, I'm just blowing them um, off of the like the lawn area and mm-hmm. just back into the wooded area, which has uh, all the leaves from last fall. Okay. And everything's getting kind of mixed together. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, because if, if it was not going to be subject to degradation, your property would probably be 500 feet deep in itchy balls. So, oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and you are returning some of the most valuable part of the plant to the soil. You're turning um, the seeds and the husk and everything back in. But boy, just as I said that, there's got to be um, something out there, some machine that crushes them up or, again, shoots them at your enemy from a high wall. Um, <laughs> something like that but um what i have recommended for people who have too many of these things is to get a a garden vacuum this is not like um you know a leaf blower or leaf sucker or anything like that it it kind of is but instead of um a cone on the end it has a long snake like they use in drainage for and, sure, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and it's got a it's got a cute little handle, so you can push it back into your shrubbery, um, and then dump it out someplace. But I, well, I I think that's the thing. I thought I would have a whole mountain of things of these things if I got one of those. Well, you know, why don't we, meaning you, do that and check it in a year or two? Um, it is nature's duty to decompose wood into soil once again. And if you made just a pile of itchy balls, you could keep it well watered over the summer and accelerate it. It would make great compost. Or you could put up one of those roadside signs, world's largest itchy ball pile. Come (laughs) see it refreshments for the kids oh that sounds fantastic yeah free itchy balls to take home and then you show one itchy ball that appears to be the size of an asteroid you know (laughs) so that's all i got sounds great i think we could probably uh no actually um another trick that was taught to me is spreading them around uh slug prone plants either in the top of pots or down at the bottom of the pots or in the garden bed, uh, make a ring of them around your garden bed. Um, Slugs obviously can't cross over them because they'll get pierced. Well, all right. All right. That sounds like something we could do leading into gardening season. Yeah, fun. And uh, don't forget to have an itchy ball fight with your eight-year-old and mom, mom, he's going to wear glasses. He's going to wear protective glasses. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then you well, need thank an, you, sir. Yeah, you need an ump to count the hits. All right, you take care, man. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that the time to collect and shred fall leaves will soon be here. A mulching mower is great for leaves that are laying on your lawn. But for the rest of your ranch, you can't beat a rechargeable leaf blower that has a vacuum setting and collection bag. Suck them up and shred them in one easy step with no bending. 
I'm Bendable Mike McGrath, and you're listening to the beginning of a brand new season of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome to a very special edition of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. Dan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Well, thank you, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. And where is Dan doing fine? Uh, I'm on the peripheral of the Lehigh Valley, uh, not too far from, uh, you would recognize, Emmaus. No, oh, sure. Town like that, Sure, just go over Fifth Street, uh, over the mountain. Yeah, you can do that too. I'm in the hill country. Yeah. All right, Dan. What can we do you for? Well, you just mentioned Forsythia, and I have to admit that my Forsythia is looking great in terms of all the yellow flowers. Mm-hmm. But I have a 120 foot long hedge, which is overgrowing my driveway to the extent that I have to drive off the driveway. And I really need to move it back, and and this is probably sounding sacrilegious, but I almost need just to cut it back at the the base and move. I mean, this hedge is several feet wide. I want to know the best way to do it, and if possible, when I cut some of the larger branches, I'd like to reroute them and plant them <laughs> elsewhere, and I'm not sure how to do that. Okay, so it has gotten too big in the sideways position. Correct. It's just okay. overhanging the driveway, and you can't go around it. Okay. Um, and you realize, of course, that it's in full bloom right now. Yes. I. The, the other part of the question would be, when would be the best time to do that? Wait till next fall? Or, no, no, you know, no. You never, never prune anything in the fall, um, okay. even though you desperately want to. Uh, what you want to <laughs> do is wait till all the flowers are gone. Okay. And then you've got a blank slate. Um, I would suggest you get some carpenter's tools and make a line down the driveway and follow that line for pruning above ground. Not, don't go low, uh, but follow that and take off um, as much of the forsythia as in as is in current on your car. Um, Forsythia spreads by uh, tip rooting. So if you want to keep it under control in the future, you have to look, you know, all these little things that come up out of the ground, these branches, and then turn around. If, if, you, don't take, if you don't take them out, and you can take them out whenever you see them, it's just going to grow back the way you want. But if you keep, um, and not hacking it back, I don't, I don't want to hear any um, chainsaws, 
Um, you say it's a long thing, so I could see hedge clippers being involved. But uh, take it back to the edge of the driveway as, as you perceive it, or as close to the edge of the driveway as it can help your cars. And then is there a problem with it on the other side, or is it just one? No, it's just the side overhanging the, the driveway. And unfortunately, I think some of those tip-rooted things, you know, 10 years ago are now rather large, thick mm-hmm. um, trunks. So I'm, I'm going to have to, unfortunately, and I hate to admit this, do some damage to my lovely hedge. It will grow back. But um, I, I may be uh, you know, having, no, it might have to be a multi-step process. And all well, but yeah, but Dan, if you haven't earth. pruned it in 10 years, you got 10 years worth to catch up on. I, I agree. Uh, I just retired, so I got 20 years of deferred maintenance. Okay, I hear that. So <laughs> I would start with what I said. Um, now, right. if one of these shoots one of these advantageous roots is coming up out of the ground and it's definitely going to lean in the direction that you're trying to clean up, just prune it off at the very base of the plant. Um, just the act of pruning will improve the look of the forsythia. It'll fill in even more. And then you know the old story. It, it, it's an every year job. Every year after the flowers fade, <laughs> You get out there and you prune, and you'll have a fabulous-looking hedge with no damage to anything. Right. I, I the, the one question would be, as I cut whatever I'm cutting, how easy is it to reroot some of that stuff? You know, if I put it in a in a bucket with, you know, some magical solution that you can come up with, which I don't well, know about. Well, first of all, you can't root plants in buckets of water and have them take in the soil. Um, you can hydrate them a little bit, but after that, they need to be growing in soil. And no offense, man, the last thing anybody needs is more forsythia in the world. If you took one of your cuttings and you drove over it with a dirt bike and then got out and beat it with a claw hammer, threw it underneath a Mack truck and threw it down somewhere where it could smell grass, that's it, baby. That's all you need. So this, yeah, this is this is not one for overplanting. I'll keep that in mind. I have fortunately, this is a remnant of my grandfather's farm, so I have, uh, you know, fifty acres to plant persicia elsewhere on. Okay, well, they are great um, attractors of beneficial insects, including the spring tiptia wasp, which actually hunts Japanese beetle grubs as they're emerging from the soil. Yeah. Maybe I'll plant it around my garden. Yeah, well, just just remember, it's going to keep trying to come in. Oh yes, I have, I have more than one persistia that has taken over the world. Yeah. All right, man. Good luck to you. Well, thank you very much for your information. I love your show. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care. Bye bye. As always, it is now time for the beloved question of the week which we're calling Vodka Saved My Garlic. We've gotten lots of questions about garlic this summer, far too many for me to answer individually. So I will just cut to the chase and discuss proper planting, happy harvesting, and an important disease-preventing tip I had long ago forgotten, which led to my being bit in the Roja this summer. I would say let's start this at the beginning, 
But which is the beginning? Harvesting beautiful bulbs in the summer or planting cloves from those bulbs in the fall? It's like the chicken and the egg conundrum or Lois never figuring out that Clark was Superman. Let's start with planting because this is the season to do so. Come on in close, guys. I'm going to show them how to do this. You pull apart heads of garlic. And let me show you how to do that. What I like to do is run my thumbnail down in between the individual cloves. And then there's no rhyme or reason for what you do next. You just work it until it breaks apart into the individual cloves. And then after that, it's up to you. Um, however you want to rub it around and get it apart. Uh, but it is great, dirty fun. I apologize to whoever has to clean the studio floor after this. And now you see what you got. That's really important to do at this stage. After you pull apart your heads of garlic, you plant individual undamaged cloves in your richest, loosest soil. A raised bed containing lots of compost and perlite is ideal as the light, loose soil of a raised bed produces bigger, happier bulbs at harvest time. Plant the cloves four to six inches apart, two inches deep in warm climates, and up to five inches deep in frosty land. That means X number of inches of soil above the tippy top of the buried clove. Mulch that bed with a couple inches of pine straw or finely shredded leaves. No wood mulch of any kind, color, or national origin. Remember rule number three of organic gardening. Just because you have a lot of something doesn't mean you should use it. Generally means the opposite. Timing. Basically, you should get your cloves in the ground six weeks before your last average frost date. But the further north you are, the earlier you can plant. If you wait until the supposedly lucky Columbus Day, you'll get smaller bulbs at harvest time. I aim for early September planting to give the cloves extra time to grow a nice root system before the ground freezes. Down in the Carolinas and thereabouts, you can wait until Halloween. In really hot regions, Consult your local county extension office for timing advice, because I never lived in no place like that. Now, there are two basic types of garlic. My preferred type is hardneck. That's what I grow. That's what I've been doing to show you how to separate the cloves and stuff. It is the best tasting and most colorful type. Many amazing heirloom varieties are available, and hardnecks are the type for cold climate gardeners. But hardnecks have little storage potential. A hardneck harvested in late June or early July will typically start to sprout by late September. Ah, but all is not lost. You can just plant those sprouting cloves. The other type is softneck, a.k.a. white garlic or California garlic. Technically a better choice for warmer climates, but less flavorful and much less fun to grow. However, it has a big advantage. Softnecks are ideal for storage, resisting the urge to sprout for a year or longer. They are also braidable because they got them soft necks. 
Hardnecks have a kind of a woody stem after curing. Many gardeners grow both types, hardnecks for fresh eating and softnecks for long-term storage. But this verges on cowardice, in my opinion. And a braided circle of softneck garlic is useless for repelling vampires, while a single bulb of hardneck will send them running, or flying, or misting, or wolfing, or any of the other things they do. Because many hardneck varieties originated in their native land. Now, you don't have to do much after clove planting. Just clip off and eat any scapes, those are the little bulges, that appear at the top of the plant. Then wait until the bottom one-third of your plants have turned brown and pull up a test plant. If it looks like a big leak, cook with it and try again later. If the bulbs are nice and fat and have full paper wrappers, pull it all up and cure it for a week or two. Ideally, with all the plants laid out singly on a surface with a ceiling fan above for good airflow. Do not place in direct sunlight and never wash your bulbs. Just shake or gently brush off most of the doit. After curing, gently break hardneck bulbs into their individual cloves. Now, this is really important. You want to select the largest cloves for replanting. Maybe a little hard for you to see, but this is a big clove that's going to make big bulbs. But this is a skinny little mini. There's almost nothing to it. So this is the type that you either eat right away or you process into garlic powder or something like that. If you have no garlic of your own to continue the strain, buy some bulbs at a local farmer's market or from a reputable mail order source. Don't use supermarket garlic. And now we get to my confession about neck rot, which my garlic had too. I have been growing garlic for around 25 years before tragedy struck. My entire crop was turning brown much too early. Even worse, the stems rotted away at ground level. Luckily, I had gifted several friends with bulbs of my unique garlic, which over the decades had evolved to reduce heads of uniform size, shape, and flavor, none of which resembled the garlics I had started out with. My friends returned the favor, and my future crops were saved. After that, I began marking the garlic beds and rotating them so that garlic never followed garlic. And I thought that was enough, which it was for a couple of years. Then tragedy struck again this season, and I quickly pulled up every plant that had a layer of nasty mold where plant met soil, destroyed these stricken plants, and replaced their potentially contaminated shredded leaf mulch with fresh pine straw. And then I remembered a disease prevention tip from years ago that I had foolishly stopped using. You soak the cloves before planting in a baking soda solution for 24 hours, about one tablespoon of baking soda per gallon of water, followed by five minutes in a bath of undiluted vodka. But I wasn't there yet. So I ran to the liquor store and bought a half gallon of their cheapest vodka for 10 bucks. 
Uh, the guy even said, I hope you're not going to drink this. But he didn't seem better off when I said, no, I'm going to pour it on my garden. I drenched my garlic beds with this swill, made a promise to treat my cloves properly at planting time this year, and harvested a free crop thanks to my friends and cheap vodka. Well, that sure was some helpful information about how to grow great garlic now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be, youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from the Univest studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he rode to Earth inside a spaceship disguised to look like a meteor, but landed in the ocean 3,000 miles away from anybody who would care. Yikes, my producer is threatening to grab my garlic if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at YB. YG at WLVT dot O-R-G. Please include your location. And don't forget, all of you podcast and radio listeners can see me going step by step with my garlic growing instructions at the video section of YouBetYourGarden.org. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be drying and grinding garlic in the best smelling house in the USA until I can see you again next week. in store for your unsuspecting eyes and or ears next week? Evil squirrels making garlic powder and or tomato sauce. I'm Mike McGrath and on the next You Bet Your Garden we'll take a close look at repelling ravenous rodents or maybe putting up your seasonal harvest or just you putting up with me. Plus your fabulous phone calls.